From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Across Asia, 80% of high school students are myopic. The strain from living with nearsightedness can inevitably lead to other vision conditions. But with an overwhelming number of cases globally, there is a need for quality screening at home or at school without meeting with a physician. In his work developing smartphone apps for the vision impaired, Dr. Gang Luo of Mass Eye and Ear hopes to make vision screening and visual aids more accessible around the world. Dr. Gang Luo is an associate scientist of mobility enhancements and vision rehabilitation at Mass Eye and Ear and an associate professor of ophthalmology at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Luo, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You work in the area of vision and you study vision impairments. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the focus of your research? So currently, a big chunk of my work is uh, on vision screening, vision therapy, or vision rehabilitation technologies. I have an engineering background, and I received a uh, vision science, vision rehab training at Harvard Medical School. So currently, my work is basically a combination of my previous engineering expertise and my uh, training in clinic. And we develop technologies for visually impaired people and even for normally sighted people. You know, for normally sighted people, they may have some uh, vision disorder, like a nearsightedness or some uh, eye misalignment or some uh, binocular vision disorders um, and not a, as severe as vision impairment. No one got a perfect vision. Right. So, and some of the focus of your research is developing smartphone apps. Could you tell us a little bit about um, a couple of the smartphone apps that you've developed? Oh, so uh, one group of uh, smartphone apps we developed is for visually impaired people. So by definition, as uh, uh, people with uh, impaired vision means they have a vision loss that is not due to refraction error. Uh, someone with refraction error, they can be easily uh, corrected by wearing glasses. But for people with low vision or uh, impaired vision, uh, their vision loss cannot be corrected by wearing glasses. So uh, they need uh, some visual aids to help. Uh, one commonly used uh, visual aids is a magnifier. Uh, the commonly used uh, magnifier is the optical magnifier. And nowadays, uh, people use electronic magnifier. And the app we developed is uh, using the smartphone camera to capture the image and magnify the image and showing on the screen. So equivalent as the video magnifier. And uh, there was, when we spoke previously, you were telling me about um, a smartphone app 
that uses the magnifier, but also uses a uh, speech recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how that works? Because that sounded really interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, the one of the app we developed, it's like a Google search in the physical world. So when you type in the keywords and uh, from the internet, you can find uh, the information you need. But what about the, uh, the physical world? Let's see, uh, those information is out there. They are printed on papers or on signs, but they are not digitized. And our app, basically what it does is character recognition. And you just speak to the app what I need to find. And then the app can uh, pinpoint the location where uh, you can find your information. Just give you an example that you go to the restaurant, you want to find a particular uh, uh, items on the menu, but the menu is very long. You just want to find a type of a seafood. For low vision people, they already have difficulty to see those prints. They would have to scan from top to the bottom, one line by one line. But with our app, I just need to speak. The, I want to find a particular seafood, and then the the app will guide you, highlight the the seafood you want, and uh, zoom in and uh, use the magnification to read the print. You don't have to scan the whole pages. Right. So if you were looking for salmon, for example, you'd hold your phone up in front of a menu, say the word salmon, and it would scan all the text. Anytime it finds it, it would magnify it and show it to you. Right. Perfect. Um, and so you've developed all these apps and the these apps that you have developed for vision impaired people, you make them all available for free uh, for anybody to download. Why do you feel like um, it's important to offer them for free and how can you um, do that? For visually impaired people, those VUAs are very important, sometimes can be uh, life-saving. But however, the market is small. So not many people are actually working on the market. So that actually drives the, the price very high. It's not like a smartphone everyone have. Uh, you know, even teenagers have a smartphones. So a smartphone typically costs a hundred bucks, some uh, a little bit over $1,000. But can you imagine for visually impaired people, if they want to get a VUA, sometimes they can cost more than $15,000. So the fundamental reason is that the market is small, not many people working on it. Uh, so the price is in proportionally high. Mm. So it doesn't have to be that high. Uh, technology wise, we can make it a low cost. The way I address this problem is I use the existing smartphone platform and at a very low cost, or sometimes even for free, it's easy. Thankfully, we have some donation from foundations, some philanthropic donors. So we are able to develop those apps and release them for free. So you've received a Catalyst pilot grant to evaluate a new smartphone app screening tool that you're developing for myopia or nearsightedness. Before we talk about the app itself, why did you want to work on myopia? Oh, so this is uh, about another uh, area uh, my lab is working on. Vision rehabilitation is just uh, one of the area. As I said, uh, for normally sighted people, they may also have some vision problems. And particularly for myopia, 
uh, it's actually has reached an alarming epidemic level. Global-wise, there are many people are nearsighted. Uh, as I know, in some of the cities, especially in Asia, in high school, the myopia prevalence is 80%. Mm. So 80% of high school students, you said, in some cities are nearsighted? Yes, exactly. Because they study a lot. They have lots of read. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there's... Um, because when we when we spoke previously, you gave me that a number similar to that, and I couldn't believe it. And I looked it up, and it was really even you know worldwide, it's almost sixty five percent or something like that of people. Um, do you have? You just said that you think it's because people are reading more. Is there any research on sort of the the increased prevalence of nearsightedness and why it's becoming larger? Yeah, um, the myopia research have shown that uh, there's some uh, genetic uh, reason for that. Some people are prone to have uh, nearsightedness, but there's also some environment factors. So one is uh, the sunlight. So if you spend more time outdoor, uh, you're less likely to get uh, myopia. Hmm. And uh, another reason is uh, near vision work. Nowadays, uh, students, uh, they have to uh, study a lot in this uh, highly competitive world. The prevalence level is not even across the world. And uh, it's very high in Asia, especially in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, in some rural area, they may be lower. But as you said, overall, still very high. So nearsightedness is not just a problem of uh, inconvenience. You have to move close. If you have a high myopia, your risk to get uh, some other serious eye problems is high. So for one of them is uh, retina detachment. You may get blind. Can you prevent that with just by wearing glasses? Yes. Doctors all believe uh, if you can intervene early, correct their vision early, uh, when they start to have this myopia, it may slow down the progression of uh, myopia. So the problem of the current myopia epidemics is not just more people uh, are having uh, nearsightedness. It's also the high myopia is getting more. Okay, so not only are people getting it more, but the bad myopia or like the high degree of myopia, like you're saying, is more because people aren't getting screened adequately. They're not finding out and being diagnosed. Is that right? Yes. Okay, and that's where your that's where this smartphone app comes in because it's a screening tool, um, so that instead of going to a doctor, which might not be feasible for people everywhere, um, they can use a smartphone app. So, could you tell us um, how this app works and how it um, can perform that screening function? Our app doesn't require any optical attachment. If you just download the app, you can use that immediately. And the way it works is to figure out, very importantly, to figure out at what distance you can see things clearly. You know, by definition, nearsightedness, uh, you have to get in close to see clearly. And we just measure at what distance you can see clearly. And use that, we calculate the refraction error. Okay, and tell us about 
refraction error? Because that's a term you brought up a couple of times. What does that mean? Uh, you can think of it as uh, the images cannot focus on the retina. Uh, for a person who is not myopic, the lights from the far distance can clearly focus on the retina, so they can see images at far distance. But for people with myopia, the lights from a far distance focus at the position before the retina. So the image on the retina became blurred. So essentially you have to move close so that the focusing point move back on the retina. Could you tell us a little bit more about, without getting too technical, sort of like the technology that you're using? Yeah, as I said, the key is to figure out the distance and how we can use smartphone to measure distance as we analyze the human visual features in eye. And use that features, we can calculate the distance. So the app can tell how far away the phone is from your face. Yes. Got it. Okay. So based. Okay, I understand now. So the app is displays some text or an image on it on the smartphone. No, the self. We use the selfie camera. Okay. Capture the image of the uh, patient's face. Mm-hmm. And we analyze the eyebrow, eye, nose, uh, even sometimes ears, and uh, using that as the reference and to calculate the distance from the eye to the screen. Okay. And then there's an image on the screen that they have to look at, or it's using the smartphone's camera? Yes. We, yeah. we do have some uh, images on the screen. We call it a video stimulus. The way we use the app is that we want to, uh, the patient to move closer to the phone until they see the video stimulus or the images on the screen clearly. And then at that point, we measure the distance. Okay, and based on that distance, you can assess whether or not they have nearsightedness and how bad it is. Correct. Could you tell us um, a little bit about the grant that you received? Like I said, it was a Harvard Catalyst pilot grant, part of the Site and Science pilot funding series. So could you tell us a little bit about how you found out about the grant and what the process of applying was like? Yeah, um, Harvard Catalyst just sent this uh, um, call for proposal. And this time, it's basically one proposal about vision. And uh, I believe there are two types of uh, vision grants. One is to study uh, some basic vision questions. Another is a more kind of a more applied science. And I believe Johnson & Johnson is, uh, has a very specific uh, interest in this myopia. So actually in their call for proposal, they especially uh, list like uh, myopia is one area they are very interested. And this happened to exactly the same as what we have been working on. Mm. And so had you already been working on this this yes. idea, and then the grant popped up, and you thought it was a perfect fit. Yes, we will develop this app, and then we found about this uh, grant application opportunities. So, what we propose in this uh, uh, project is we want to evaluate this app. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's how you're using this grant money is to perform an evaluation to assess whether it's um, better than or as good as a visit in a doctor's office. Correct. Could you talk a little bit 
more or more specifically about why a smartphone app like this is important or how how you see this type of app or this app specifically how you can improve access to care i, I said early myopias uh, doesn't seem to be a serious problem it can be easily corrected by uh, eyeglasses however since this is an epidemic so many people have myopia then it becomes a completely different monster so one is that how you can provide vision care in time to so many patients, especially for people in the rural area or people stuck at home during the COVID-19 lockdowns. Right. Telemedicine or teleconsultation is one way to address this issue. Uh, but the problem is that in most of the day and teleconsultation, it's not exactly like what they go to the doctor's office. You have all the equipment to do the measurement, but if you're doing the consultation at home, you don't have any equipment to measure. You can only talk to the doctors. So some vision measurement would be very helpful for the clinicians. And everybody has a smartphone now. So if we can turn the smartphone as the medical equipment, that would be very useful for the clinician to understand the problems the patient have. Another is that from the um, public health perspective, so we like to know how many people are myopic. If we implement some intervention, we like to know whether it works or not. So you are basically working on hundreds of millions of people. Most of them are children. So currently in the school vision screening, they only measure visual acuity. Why don't they measure the refraction? Because school nurses typically who do this vision screening, they don't have the expertise to measure refraction. It can be done with the machine like auto refractor, but no school have auto refractors. So imagine if we have this app available to the school nurse, then the schooners can measure the refraction curve. Mm, yeah, that's that's a great point. Taking that technology, that expensive, bulky, you know, technology that takes up space, and if you can put it into something that everybody's carrying around in their pocket, or most people are carrying around in their pocket, anyways, then it opens up so many possibilities of people who can access that screening. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about the team that you have who develops the apps or the, your research team. How do you, how's your team put together? Um, I have an interdisciplinary uh, uh, team. Uh, we have computer vision engineer. So they develop this algorithm uh, to, do, to process the images. And we have a programmer. The, the general programmer, they can implement those ideas and we have uh, collaborating physicians, optometrists, and uh, we also have a research assistant to conduct the uh, clinical studies to do uh, evaluations. Right. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you work together. I just want to get a little bit more information on sort of like your process of working together and coming up with ideas and how that works. Yeah. Um, in general, the way it works is that uh, we work very close to clinician at first. 
So the clinician always um, have some needs. Uh, they come to us and say, okay, can you solve this problem for me? So then we can uh, use our expertise in engineering and try to find the solution for them. And as I said, the current, all the project uh, we are working on, we don't want to develop a technology that's too complicated for users to use. So we don't want a solution that require attachment. If you think about the commercialization, it require a very long supply chain. Who is going to manufacture it and uh, where we, can, we need to stock uh, uh, those devices. Mm-hmm. I believe that if you really want to develop a cool technology, it has to be a smartphone by itself. So people in anywhere in the whole world, as long as they have internet, they can download it and use that immediately. And then we do some prototype and see if it works. If it works, then we, we design an app that is uh, user-friendly for clinicians to try out the pilot to test it. Mm-hmm. And they give us the feedback and then we keep improving the technology until that can be useful in the clinic. Mm. So you're really working closely with clinicians, not just at the beginning of the process, looking for unmet needs, but you're getting their feedback as you develop and improve the prototypes. Yeah, that's a very important. Typically in the early um, proof of concept stage, you may have a, a perfect model to show, okay, and the idea may work. But however, uh, when you actually use it in clinics, you can come up with the, or came across all kinds of patients. Right. And you need to solve all of them. Otherwise, the technology will not be useful in the clinic. You said that this, um, this project, you're working towards commercialization. What do you hope the impact is? What do you hope to see going forward um, if this is proven, you know, if you're successful here? Yeah, I think the commercialization is very important to develop a technology that is really useful for clinicians. It takes more than one lab. We, we need a big team. Um, that's not a task that can be done by a small lab. So we need a, a company that does this uh, commercialization. For something like an app where you don't have to produce physical things, how does a company help you when you're developing an app? Um, I think there's a two, at least the two aspects. One is that uh, if you want the technology work for all kinds of patients, uh, the technology will become much more complicated. Mm. So we need a, a larger team uh, from the company to do that. Another is is actually the marketing to let all the clinicians know there's a, such a technology exists and uh, convincing to use it. I never thought that it would be enough for scientists to produce one publication and then the whole world will know it and think, <laughs> okay, this is a great and let's everybody use it. And never so that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you to- need the big marketing team and you need like a, uh, yeah, something that people can understand, not just an academic paper. Yes. And that's, it's way beyond a research lab. Do you have any kind of final thoughts about the project or the 
grant process or anything that you wanted to share? Yeah, I want to thank the Harvard Catalyst um, to give us a grant for us to start the clinical studies. And it's the right timing. Just as we develop this technology, we can have a small grant to do this study and try to show the potential of this app. I'm not saying this, this technology is already mature. It's going to uh, work perfectly. But without these clinical studies, we will never know how to improve it. Well, Dr. Luo, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.